Welcome to Life Changing Money, a podcast all about one of the most taboo topics in the world, money. I'm your host, Barbara Shrehan, and we're going behind the scenes on business owners' journeys to money, success, and wealth. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Life Changing Money. I am so excited to have Amberly Lago on the podcast. She has the most incredible story and is the definition of resilience. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I had to apologize when I got here. I was like, don't be scared of the way that I look because I've got a black eye and stitches in my head, but I'm here. I'm resilient. I get back up. Unstoppable. Yeah. Doesn't mean we don't fall flat on our face. It just means that, you know, we get up, pull up our bootstraps and keep going. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe I shouldn't be horsing around with my daughter like I was um, anymore because she's gotten really strong and laughs quickly (laughs) went to blood. So (laughs) I don't know if I'll be doing that. (laughs) How old is she? She's 15 and she is 5'10". She's the same height as me. And um, she's a, a, a jumper, a horseback rider, and she she jumps a big thoroughbred Grand Prix horse. And so, yeah, she's gotten strong and I kind (laughs) of went off balance. And before I knew it and I'm like, oh, I hit the coffee table and she goes, mom, there's blood. And I'm like, oh, let's get out the super glue. And my husband comes over and he's like, what in the world? And I'm like, oh, we'll just glue it together. You know, I've been through so many surgeries and stuff. And he goes, no, I think you need stitches. And so, yeah, I got stitched up, but they did a good job. They did a good job on me. So here I am. Yikes. Well, yeah. you're so strong. I would love if you went into your story a little bit and yeah. why you're so resilient. Well, my life was totally different. You know, um, gosh, back in 2010, totally different. I was in the fitness industry. I think growing up an athlete and being a professional dancer taught me a lot about being resilient. And and, um, I learned a lot about grit being an athlete um, and started working when I was really young. Back in 2010, I was, you know, I had a, a big career in the fitness industry. I regularly contributed to Shape Magazine and Health Magazine, doing articles. I employed several other trainers, was sponsored by Nike, and everything changed in the blink of an eye. I was coming home from work um, on my motorcycle, and this SUV shot out of a parking lot, and I was T-boned, thrown uh, about 30 feet. And all I remember was just sliding across the asphalt. It was on Ventura Boulevard, which in California, it's a pretty LA, mm, pretty big, yeah. pretty big street, busy street. And all I could think of was, please don't let another car hit me. And when I finally came to a stop, I looked down at my leg and it was just completely just broken, it cr- crumbled into pieces and there was blood everywhere. And I didn't know at the time that my femoral artery was actually severed. And thank goodness I had a guy come over and he took his belt off right away and made a tourniquet on my leg. 
And the paramedics were right down the street at the coffee bean. So they didn't, they were running towards me before they even got the call because they heard the accident. Quickly rushed to the hospital. And when I got there, they had to put me in induced coma because I'd lost so much blood. My organs were shutting down. They couldn't control my pain. And um, when I woke up out of a coma a little over a week later, the first thing I learned was um, they said they were going to have to amputate my leg. They, I woke up and they said, I'm so sorry. This is your leg is like a war wound. There's nothing we can do for you. You only have a 1% chance of us saving it. And in that moment, I just thought, this is my livelihood. I mean, I was the main breadwinner of the family. Um, yeah. Fitness was my my life. It was my love. Running was my passion. It's what brought me joy. And so in that moment, I thought, okay, well, 1%, that 1% was my glimmer of hope. And that's what I held on to. I said, we got to find a doctor who's willing to take that chance. I, that 1%, there's still a chance. And mm -hmm. um, we found a doctor. It took, I'm telling you, an act of God to get me transferred. Um, because nobody want another hospital didn't want to take me. It was a big risk. They were afraid I would die on yeah. the way to the hospital and um, got transferred. And that glimmer of hope that I held on to got me through 34 surgeries and months in the hospital. And they were actually able to save my leg. But then, oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it was a crazy journey. And I really, I really thought the worst was over. I thought, okay, you know, I got through it. I'm just going to heal up. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get on with my life, get back to, you know, training my clients and back to business. And I remember I was so proud to be upright on crutches. And I went into this doctor's appointment and he took one look at me and examined me. And he said, you've got something very serious. And my first thought was like, well, duh. Yeah, I got hit by an SUV. And he's like, yeah. He goes, no, you, you have a nerve disease. You have complex regional pain syndrome and mm -hmm. um, your life's never going to be the same. Uh, you need to, there's no cure for this. You need to go get back in your wheelchair. You're never going to walk again and you won't work again. And when he said, get back in your wheelchair, I said, well, for how long? And he said, no, forever. There's no known cure for this. And I felt like I'd been kicked in the gut and, I didn't go back and get in my wheelchair. Instead, I went straight to physical therapy. And I remember getting to physical therapy and Terry, my physical therapist at the time, goes, Amberly, what are you doing here? You don't even have an appointment today. And I said, I know I don't. But if I want to have the life that I've always imagined, then I'm going to have to work harder than I've ever worked before. And I didn't realize how hard that was going to be. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I was going to go through. And I feel like pain has been my biggest teacher. And there were moments when I was ready to give up. And there was a moment, a turning moment when I decided that, no, this, you know, I don't, there's got to be more to life than this. That's where the grit comes from and the grace, mm -hmm. because I've had to learn to work really hard, but I've also had to learn um to give myself grace and the grace is also stands for um, God's grace and, and that I'm here and that I've gotten through so much. And so um, I just want to share that, you know, I've completely reinvented myself. I got through, you know, we had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses, a lien on our house. I lost my career 
And a lot of people would say I lost everything, but I didn't lose hope. I didn't lose my faith and I had my mindset and that's what got me through so much. And, and I think how I'm here today and how I've been able to reinvent myself. Wow. Like, how do we even start to unpack that? The first thing that came to my mind when you said in 2010, right, mm-hmm. is, oh, your daughter was one. Yeah, actually, right. she she had just turned two. She had turned two um, a month before, like a month before my accident. She had just she had just turned two years old. Wow, and I feel like you kind of glossed over. I went through thirty four surgeries, and I mean, most people don't even go through five surgeries in their whole life, and you're you've gone through 34 surgeries in when you were just in the hospital. So now you right? can understand why when I split my head open, I'm just like, oh, get out the super glue. Cause that's like nothing. Yeah. That's like a piece of cake. And actually when I got to the emergency room, I was like, Hey doc, do you, are you sure you need to stitch this up? Can we just glue this? And he's like, no, I need to stitch it up. And I was like, he goes, but I got to numb at first. I'm like, you know what? Can you just go ahead. I got to get, get on and get out of here. I was like, can you just stitch it up? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, this is like nothing compared to what I've been through. I think it put a lot of things in perspective, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Holy moly. Are you saying you got stitches on your face with no numbing? No, he insisted on numbing okay. it. So he, but you he would have. I, I would have. I was like, come on, let's get on with this. I want to get out of the hospital. Like, you know what I mean? Wow. But yeah, so it, it put a lot of things in perspective for me. I mean, just things like being so grateful and and still to this day when there are times when I'm like, oh, I don't feel like working out today. Or I'm like, I get to work out. Like I get mm. to get out of bed. Like I, I can walk. Um, I might yeah. be walking with a limp or I might have some pain, but I'm walking. I'm on both of my feet, you know, and I had, um, I'll never forget this. I had this doctor when I was being released from the hospital. I was so excited. I, I was just begging them. I'd been in the hospital for like three and a half months and I kept begging every day. Can I go home now? Can I go home now? And um, I was finally being dismissed. And um, this one doctor, he was the pulmonary doctor. I said, I'm so excited to get home. I can't wait to start training clients again. I can't wait to run again. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, um, I don't know if you'll train clients again. He goes, I don't think you'll run again. And you'll probably never wear shorts again with scars like that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, it hit me. Like, oh, wow. Like, here I'm thinking, I can't wait to do all the things I did before and I'm going to get better. And I was just like, had this outlook of I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get better. Yeah. And that was a big, after it felt like I was kicked in the gut for a minute, it was Mm -hmm. a big motivating moment for me, for somebody to tell me that I wouldn't, I couldn't, I probably would never do that because it took me two years but I did run again. And the first time I ran again, I was on the beach with my daughter and I was in a bikini. And I was like, not only am I, I'm wearing shorts, I'm wearing a bikini again. You know, it took a long time to accept all the scars, but now I show my scars. So others know that they can heal too, you know? Mm, I love that. 
it sounds like all the damn doctors were so pessimistic. I had the doctor that saved my leg was amazing. He he changed my life. I write about him in my book. And actually, after I wrote my book, well, when I had the manuscript, he's the first person that I let read it or that I wanted Aww. to read it. And I just remember going to his, making an appointment just so I could see him and give him my manuscript and um, crying as I gave it to him because he, he was, he was my hero. I mean, he, besides my husband being my hero, but he, He's my hero. You know, nobody was willing to save my leg except for him. And I will never mm -hmm. forget. He um, was out. They said he's not going to be back in town. Um, I, I got to the hospital at Cedar sinai on a, a, a Sunday. And they said, well, Dr. Wiss won't be back in town until Monday. Well, it was Sunday night. We'd finally got me transferred there. And I was by myself in the hospital room. Um, my husband had taken my daughters back home and stuff. And this man comes in and he's in like a beige suit. He wasn't, I didn't know he was doctor or who he was. It was just a man in like mm -hmm. a suit. And he walks in and I look at his name tag and it says D Wiss. And I was like, I just started crying and I grabbed his arm and I said, oh my oh. goodness. I said, you are the doctor that's going to save my leg. And he goes, well, we're going to try. We're going to, you know, I, first I got to get in there and clean all that up, but we're, we're going to try. And um, he never gave up on me. In fact, I'll just tell you a quick story there. It was about a year after my accident and all of a sudden I'm walking and I had a non-union in the bone for, it was about two inches. And they said it, they weren't sure how long or if it would ever grow back together and they might have to do a bone graft. So I was basically walking on metal, metal plates. I didn't have enough bone in my leg to put a rod in, so they plated it all up. And one day I'm walking, and as I would walk, the area between your knee and your ankle would bow out each step. And I was like, it was bending where it wasn't supposed to bend. And it got to hurting so bad that I had to go back in to Dr. Wiss. I said, Dr. Wiss, I said, something's not right. He goes, what do you mean? And I took my ankle, I took my foot. And my knee, and I bent my leg right where it wasn't supposed to be. And he kind of put his hand on his chin and crossed his arm. And he said, we got to take an x-ray. He took an x-ray, and he came back, and he shook his head. He said, you've broken the titanium. My husband goes, how do you break <laughs> titanium? He goes, leave it to my wife to break titanium. He said, well, you know, think of it like you have a big tree with a limb. And that wind's blowing, and every day that limb is on the tree is bending a little bit, bending a little bit until it gives out and it breaks. He goes, that mm -hmm. hardware in your leg is only as good as long as or as long as your bone can heal, and your bone hasn't healed, so the hardware gave out. So he had to do another surgery, and it was a 12-hour surgery to take out the broken metal and put a rod in. A lot of doctors would have just given up and said, you know mm -hmm. what? We can't do it. He tried to go in under my knee. The rod wouldn't go in. So he had to go above my knee. And I had to have a plastic surgeon there to redo the muscle flap and skin graft and stuff. And and I went in for my checkup and the plastic surgeon goes, oh my goodness, I've never seen Dr. Wiss work that hard in my life. He was over you with sweat dripping down his forehead and 
And I thought, you know what? It's because Dr. Wiss knew how hard I fought and I wanted my leg and how, you know, how I did want to do things. Like there was a time, you know, we went in for a checkup and my husband goes, yeah, Dr. Wish, you wouldn't believe what she did. She went bungee jumping and then she went and did trape the flying trapeze. And Dr. Wish goes, Well, good, good. You just keep doing whatever you can do. So he he really believed in me, saved my leg, and at a point where I even wanted to amputate it because the pain was so bad, he's the one that changed everything for me and really got me to accept all my scars because he was like, Amberly, you've got a nerve disease and we can't amputate it. And he put my leg in his lap and he looked at it like it was a masterpiece. And, and mm -hmm. I thought, here's my disgusting leg. And he's looking at it like it's a masterpiece. Like, look, I mean, he even wrote about my case in his book, because he said it was the most challenging case and surgeries he had ever done. When he looked at it that way, I thought, wow, if he can look at my leg that way, maybe I can look at it too. And from that day on, I got an acceptance for all my scars and started to look at them as, wow, look at how the body can heal and look at the mm -hmm. battles I've overcome. And, you know, for others to imagine like how strong and how powerful the human spirit is, but also yeah. how we need somebody to believe in us sometimes before we can believe in ourselves or accept us until we can accept mm -hmm. ourselves or love us until we can love ourselves. Oh, that's so beautiful. So sorry, that was a long answer. No, but... that's okay. How did you have the strength every surgery and every hurdle and every, like, what piece of advice would you give to someone that's going through a tough time? You know what? Um, that's such a good question. I, I focused on one day at a time. And, and a lot of times I, I still focus on one day at a time, sometimes one moment at a time. You know, sometimes my husband will be like, well, you know, next week you are supposed to do this event and that and this. And I said, honey, I got to focus on what I'm doing today, right now. That's what I got to focus on, just getting through this. And mm -hmm. so I did whatever I could do. And I still do whatever I can do to be the best person mentally, spiritually, and physically that I can be. Um, and so that means like, and it's, I, that started from when I was a dancer and especially when I was in the fitness industry and how I would food prep and focus on food and nutrition and moving my mm -hmm. body. So um, in the hospital, I did whatever I could to mentally be better. And what helped me mentally was to get grateful and focus on gratitude because that really mm -hmm. allows you to focus on what you can do instead of what you can't do. And it focuses on all the things that you do have instead of what you don't have. And so gratitude really helped me being of service. And that really helps me. It still helps me. You know, I try to be of service to others and their success because that's where fulfillment is. 
And Mm -hmm. even in the hospital, people are like, well, how could you be of service when you were in the hospital? I was in the hospital making phone calls. I was in the hospital setting up nutrition plans for clients, (laughs) setting up clients with other trainers. And then I had a chair in the corner behind, I had this little curtain that came over and a little chair that sat in the corner behind that curtain. And the nurses would come in my room and plop them, they were exhausted, would come and plop themselves down and tell me all their troubles, sometimes cry to me. And Mm. I would listen or give advice. And my room was the the room to hang out in. I had my own fridge and they had uh, trackers on them. So sometimes they would get in trouble and have to leave the room. But I was even giving the nurses exercise tips. Once they found out I was a trainer, they would come in and they're like, well, how do I get a better booty? And I'd be giving them exercise <laughs> tips on like what to do. Even when I got out of the hospital, I went to go visit the nurses and and see them and thank them. And so that's what helped me mentally. And then, you know, the doctors kind of thought I was crazy because I asked, I knew that if I could move my body, it would move my mood. And I still, no, I still move. Like yesterday, I had a marathon of Zoom meetings. I had, I was on Zoom for 11 hours straight. Wow. In between, I would get up and I have this small little office here. I'd get up and do some push-ups. I'd get up and run in place because moving moves your mood. It, it gives you energy. And so in the hospital, I asked for a pull-up bar. I was completely bed-bound. I, I couldn't even get up to sit in a chair next to the bed to use the bathroom on, on my own. I had to use a bedpan. But I asked for a pull-up bar. And they were like, wow. pull-up bar? That's crazy. And I said, well, as long as I can keep my upper body strong, I knew mentally that would make me feel like I was moving in the right direction. And I had um, one of the trainers from the gym bring me some small dumbbells and I was doing little exercises with, you know, lightweight dumbbells. I think he stole them from the gym, actually. I still have those, by the way. And um, (laughs) but it wasn't like I was trying to get big muscles in the gym. I just needed to feel like I was moving in the right direction. And then spiritually, I had to stay connected to God and pray and and know that he was in the driver's seat and I still have a spiritual practice and pray every day, have time in the morning, quiet time to read out of books, um, just daily reflection books. And then every night, you know, I just, I I got sober in 2016. I, I was never a partier, but after this and all the pain and trying everything, I started turning to alcohol to self medicate and mm-hmm. by the grace of God, I got sober in 2016. And and right before I got on this call with you, I was, you know, I meet with my sponsor every week. I'm, you know, go to a 12-step program. In fact, I'm the secretary of one of the 12-step meetings. And we were just talking and she's like, how's your spiritual connection? How's your spiritual, you know, practice? Are you doing it every morning? And I said, yep. I said, I am. I said, except for this morning, I pushed snooze because I had the longest day yesterday. I said, but for the most part, every morning, I said, but the first thing I do when I get in bed every single night is I pray. As soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I say it over and over and over. Thank you for keeping me sober today. I know as long as I stay sober, I can get through anything. Thank you, God. Hmm. 
I think I read on your website, it was your grandpa that told you when you were in the hospital, you have a shovel in your hand. You can either lean on it and pray for a hole or you can start digging. Yeah. And that was just like, whoo. Well, yeah, because my grandfather was like the best man I knew growing up. Now I finally have like a husband who we've been together a little over 17 years, and he is a good man, just like my grandfather was. And my grandfather was a hard worker, a good, good, faithful man and a hard worker. And he he's like, it, and what that meant is like, so many times people think, oh, if I just pray on it, it's going to happen. Or if I just think about it, if I just manifest it. And it's like, no, you mm -hmm. got to take action. Yeah. I love that. I'm sure your work shifted a little bit after this completely. And so, so what are you doing today? Completely shifted. And, you know, I kept trying to get back to what I was doing and it just, it was not working. And I kind of stopped and asked myself, okay, well, what, what can I do that brings me joy? And, you know, I started teaching dance when I was 13 then I had been training for 26 years and I love working with people and I love seeing that transformation. I love seeing that joy in them when they are, you know, and it started when I was a, a little kid. And so I think sometimes the things that you love doing when you're uh, little is still connected to the things and the, the purpose that you have when you are older. And so I thought, well, I love working with people. And so I started doing coaching, like life coach, I got certified to be a life coach. And so I was doing that. And then, you know, I started just sharing what was going on and on social media. And that was really because I wrote this book. And I didn't really have social media. And my publisher was like, well, we don't do any marketing or branding for you. So if you want to get your book out there, it's up to you to do that. And I was like, oh, gosh, mm -hmm. well, I didn't have money to hire a big branding company or a PR agency or anything like that. And so I was like, what can I utilize that's free? And I was like, social media. And I didn't know how to do it, but I was like, okay, I'm going to have to figure this out. And so I just started sharing sharing, you know, I thought I've got a year until my book comes out. I was like, I'm just going to add as much value as I can in the next year and build as many connections, true connections as I can in the next year. I was like, not fake followers, not any baloney, like the real deal. Right. Like I'm just going to get on there. And I made a commitment and I share that I spent like three to four hours on social media a day. And I know that sounds mm -hmm. crazy and it sounds like a lot. And you'll see a lot of people that have million followers that are like, I spend 10 minutes a day on social media. I'm like, well, that's not how I built my platforms. I actually put blood, sweat, and tears a lot of time into it. And yeah. through that, actually, I'll tell you the power of social media. When my my book came out, I was I Googled, what do you do at a book signing? Because I had no idea. And I it said- yeah said, walk around and talk to people in the store about your book and blah, blah, blah. And so I was prepared to get to the bookstore, set up my table um, and walk around the store and kind of introduce myself. And I get there 30 minutes early and there was already a line of people waiting 
for to to get a signed book. And there was a line of people for four hours straight. Wow. And we sold through all of the books in the store. And the book, the store had to buy books from us. So my husband ran home, made two trips to buy boxes of books and bring them back. And I'm saying that because that was all through social media. So a lot of people go, oh, social media. Well, that's how I sold out of books across the country at every book mm -hmm. signing was I would say, Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be at books and books in Miami. I don't know anybody here. Would you please just come and hug my neck? Because I don't want to be the only one at the bookstore. Please come say hello. <laughs> and they, they would show up, you know, and I made some genuine connections. And then I booked my Ted talk through social media, there was a TEDx curator that was not just watching what I was posting. She was actually looking at how I was commenting back to people and sent me a DM. And I was like, this can't be real. And I emailed her and she emailed me back. I was like, oh my gosh, this is real. And it was the 10th anniversary at uh, TEDx Berkeley, which is one of the most prestigious stages. I got to do a TED talk there. And I was like, wow. oh my gosh. So then I started being invited to speak at different places. And then I was on the Today, I was on the Today Show, the Doctors, Hallmark. It, it was just like, I can't believe that I get to share this message and that I get to connect with so many amazing people. Then I had people reaching out saying, Hey, how are you booking all these stages? How do I start my own podcast? How did you write your book? And I was answering them like one voice memo at a time, one email at a time. And right. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can't keep this up. And I was like, what about if I just start a mastermind and I coach women and I just open up my playbook and I'm like, I will tell you exactly what I did. I'll tell you all the mistakes I made, all the money that I wasted on doing things that didn't work. Like, And so that's how I started my Unstoppable Life Mastermind. And I'm passionate about empowering women. Um, I think we need more female speakers on stages that yeah. are getting paid the same amount as men. We need more top female podcasters. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love men and I love being able to go share the stage with some of the biggest speakers out there, like, you know, Ed Milet and uh, Bedros Koulian and uh, ben Newman, like some of the biggest names, oh, John Maxwell, some of the biggest names out right. there I've been able to share the stage with, and it's awesome, but I just think we need more females out there. And so that's what I do now and what I'm most passionate about is I not only bring them in, teach them how to put together a talk, I then um, teach them how to um, build up their social media platforms, increase their influence and their income. And then once a year, I create a platform where I have a stage and they get to go on stage and they share the stage with, you know, this year it's going to be John Gordon, Ben Newman, Rudy Ricksteins, like, and other speakers. But sometimes that's all you need is somebody to give you a chance to give you a stage. And so you get those pictures and you get to say, Hey, I shared the stage with this person and this person, and then boom, your speaking career just goes. That is amazing. I so, love it. Yeah. There, there needs to be more female speakers. I agree. We all yes. go to these events, right? And it's like, they throw one in there, I feel like, because they have to. 
yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. But it's like and I've been I, I've been the token female for a long time. And I'll tell my husband, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this. I'm the only female speaker at this event. And he's like, oh, that's great. And I'm like, no, we need more female speakers. Yeah, for sure. And I know a lot of people listening because a lot of our clients, they're all um like online entrepreneurs and coaches usually, and they they all mention the same thing about wanting to be on more stages. And so I'm sure they will check out your mastermind. Where else can they find you? What's your Instagram and website? Well, if they do want to get on more stages, I would love to, I have a free video series where I, I take tips and tricks and things that I've done to, to start speaking and get on more stages. And you can find that it's go.amberlylago.com forward slash thrive, or you can just go to Amberly Lago motivation on Instagram and it's right in my bio. Um, but you can find all my events, my books, my mastermind, everything at my website at amberlylago.com. But yeah, that free video series, it took a lot. It took months to like <laughs> record all those and, and, and put it out there, but it's totally free. And I did it because I want people to learn and I want, uh, I mean, there's men that have signed up for it too, obviously, and they've reached out and um, some of them yeah. have reached out and now they're coming to the event. But um, I really want, you know, for people to have the tools and stuff that that I learned along the way, because sometimes that's all we need is somebody to share what we did. So we get to point, it kind of time collapses our goals and we can get to point A to point B a lot faster. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable. Like it's so inspiring. I know even just today when I don't want to work out later after recording podcasts all day, I'm going to be like, Moving helps the mood. So thank you so much for Aww. being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Changing Money. Don't forget to subscribe. And I would love if you left a review and shared it with your friends. See you next time.